Hello, everyone. Welcome. I'm delighted you could join us, and I am delighted to introduce my guest today. He's Jeffrey Long, MD, a nationally recognized expert on near-death experience and a radiation oncologist, a medical doctor who has appeared on ABC's World News Tonight, Fox News, Wall Street Journal, Newsweek, and other mainstream media outlets. Dr. Long has served on the board of directors of the International Association for Near-Death Studies, and he's been actively researching near-death experiences for over two decades. He established a nonprofit called Near-Death Experience Research Foundation, and it has a website that serves as a forum for people to share their experiences. He is the author of Evidence of the Afterlife, the Science of Near-Death Experiences, that became a New York Times bestseller when it came out. Today, we're going to discuss his brand new book called God and the Afterlife, the groundbreaking new evidence for God and near-death experience. I'm so delighted to welcome him. Welcome, Jeffrey. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure, Miriam. Well, now I suppose the obvious first question is how a science-based medical doctor like yourself became interested in near-death experiences. Well, good gosh, I think I, like everybody, at some point ask myself, is the end of life as we know it on Earth the end? Is there more? And so that kind of basic questioning led me decades ago to start my research into near-death experience set up my website devoted to researching, investigating near-death experiences with uh, one burning question on my mind. Are near-death experiences real? And if so, do they provide evidence of the afterlife? And uh, the answer to both those questions, absolutely yes. Now, what gave you the idea that that people had near-death experiences? Was it uh, personal direct observation or uh, just the literature out there? It's actually the literature. I was in my residency training in my medical specialty of radiation oncology and going through one of the world's most prestigious medical journals, the Journal of the American Medical Association, when quite by accident I came across an article that had in the title near-death experience. I'd never heard that term before, and I was puzzled. All of my medical training told me that you were either dead or you were alive. You weren't kind of like near-death and have an experience. So puzzled, I read the whole article and was immediately fascinated. Here were descriptions of these experiences occurring all around the world when the person was unconscious. And I knew medically that by the very definition of unconscious, you could not have a conscious remembrance at that time. And yet here were people literally clinically dead, having highly lucid, organized experiences, near-death experiences. So from that moment, when I read the article, I was determined to learn more about that and understood that if near-death experiences were real, that certainly changed my view of the universe. And uh, that was the beginning of my interest in near-death experience. Well, I suppose it's not remarkable for medical doctors to be writing about this or to be interested in this because they really have such a close uh, uh, observation point to to death and and the the experiences that people report afterwards. I, I've certainly interviewed a number of medical doctors, starting with Raymond Moody, who coined the term um, from my alma mater, University of Virginia. Um, oh, wow. So, 
<laughs> so um, your your website is fascinating because you're using this as the focal point to gather information. Tell us more about that. Sure. The website is the is nderf.org. That stands for the Near Death Experience Research Foundation, name of my nonprofit foundation for research. Uh, since its inception in 1998, this website has had an extremely detailed questionnaire regarding near-death experiences for people to complete. And then we post them anonymously with advanced permission on the website. We now have over 4,000 near-death experiences posted on the Enderf website, which is by far the largest publicly accessible collection of near-death experiences in the world. Uh, this outreach on the website is so huge that portions of the website uh, are now available in 30 different languages. So we not only, and uh, with that number of near-death experiences, 4,000, and with the very detailed questionnaire we ask, we're learning about near-death experiences, not only from the huge numbers, but with the depths of questions that we asked in a way that was absolutely not possible before. Now, your first book was talking about the scientific evidence for the existence or for the reality of these near-death experiences, but your new book is actually focusing on the evidence for God. So what came, brought you to that uh, decision to focus on that area? Yeah, great, great question, Miriam. In my first book, Evidence of the Afterlife, uh, called Devoted to Studying Nine Lines of Evidence that all consistently pointed to the reality of near-death experiences and their consistent message of the afterlife. Now, that book was published some years ago, and it has stood the test of time. Uh, skeptics have looked at it carefully. It's been a, a very widely known book. And at the end of the day, where we're at today, these arguments stand. No one has been able to explain what we so consistently observe in near-death experiences as these lines of evidence. So I think built on that experience and built on understanding that near-death experiences certainly seem to me and, and to, to those that have studied the issue are real, then the question becomes, Miriam, what are the, any deeper messages in near-death experiences? Uh, given their reality, what can we learn that's really important for me, you, every listener, and all of humanity? And that's where, in the new version of our survey on the website, I asked the very key question. During your near-death experiences, did you be, have any awareness of God or a supreme being, and to my abject astonishment, out of the 420 near-death experiencers that have answered this most recent version of the survey, 45.5% answered yes. That began my interest into digging further into it. That we the question on the website allowed a narrative response. Before I knew it, I was uh, absolutely astounded at the strength of the evidence I had for the reality of God that near-death experiencers were describing. Your statistical analysis of the different questions was really quite fascinating in the book um, because that uh, method of analyzing the responses is exactly what psychologists and, and researchers in any scientific field use. It's statistical analysis of the response and, and uh, you know, stating whether this could be the result of chance or whether it was statistically significant. 
And so the significance of your study, I would, I would feel, would stand the test of any scientific body. How has been the response in the scientific community, particularly in the medical community? Have you had any blowback? Well, this uh, new book, uh, God in the Afterlife, is relatively new. The prior book that was published some years ago, that being Evidence of the Afterlife, I was very astounded at how open the medical community that I'm so familiar with and interact with daily, how open they were to what was there. And in fact, the acid test came when I was asked to speak to one of the largest hospitals in Milwaukee at what we call Grand Rounds. That's sort of a once a month special event, uh, special invitation and uh, vast numbers of people showed up. Their, their auditorium, which was huge, was so filled with people, they were actually sitting on the aisles. I felt a little bad. But I knew at the end of my discussion of near-death experiences that there was going to be a survey of the doctors. They were going to basically give their opinion, and I was told ahead of time, you will get the results of the opinion of the physicians that are in attendance about what you present. And I was astounded uh, at the end of that you know, very objective assessment of what doctors thought, the great majority were uh, very open, very aware that there was something going on that was outside of their medical understanding and explanation as well. And that really helped uh, me to realize how much we've come in the last many decades of near-death experience research and how much more open today than ever before the medical community is to near-death experiences. Well, I'm delighted to hear that. Now, before we get into the actual God experience, because the God experience is kind of one of the variables that are frequently reported by on your website by the experiencers. So uh, give us a, just a taste of, of some of the, the the range of common experiences. Sure. Now, while no two near-death experiences are the same, when you study many, and again, I've studied over 4,000, uh, I observe what other researchers have observed. Very often, an initial event in a near-death experience, well, of course, the first thing is they have their close brush with death. They're so physically compromised that they're generally unconscious or may even be clinically dead with no heartbeat. At this time, when a conscious experience should be absolutely impossible, they have the experience part of the near-death experience. A common first element is what's called an out-of-body experience. Their consciousness rises typically above their body, and from that vantage point, they can see ongoing earthly events while they're unconscious physically below themselves, and they often describe frantic efforts at their own resuscitation of others trying to bring them back to life. Uh, they have heightened senses. They uh, almost always have a very strong sense of love and peace. Those are the two most common words used in describing near-death experiences. They may pass into or through a tunnel. Often at the end of the tunnel, there's a mystical or brilliant light. Uh, often at the end of this tunnel, they're in an unearthly realm where they may encounter deceased relatives or friends. And if the well, we'll have to take the. Uh, we have we'll to go to break at the moment. We'll, okay. We'll pick it up after the break. I'm speaking with thought. Dr. Jeffrey Long. <laughs> Jeffrey Long about God and the afterlife. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Jeffrey, before the break, you were going through some of the common um, experiences, the experiences common to those who have had a near-death experience. 
Now, you collected this information through a questionnaire on your website, and you've only recently added a question about experiencing God in some way. So I'm curious as to why you decided at this point to add that question. Yeah, that was kind of a bold question because no prior near-death experience investigation had really asked that many near-death experiencers directly, did you encounter God or become aware of God during your near-death experience? But when I was looking at the thousands of experiences shared prior to that, it seemed to me that many, many near-death experiencers were describing exactly that, even though they were responding to other questions and not responding to a direct question. So the key question I asked during your experience, did you encounter any specific information or awareness that God or a supreme being exists? And I was startled to find that very high 45.5% of near-death experiencers answering yes. And with the narrative response they provided and some details about that awareness or encounter with God or a supreme being, that launched my new book, God in the Afterlife. And it was a, a fascinating journey as people shared these these very deep and personal and profound experiences. And, um, you know, I certainly saw over and over striking consistency in what they were describing. And I'll tell you, Miriam, as a physician and scientist, a basic foundation of science is what's real is consistently observed. And I knew I was observing such striking consistency in their descriptions of God that I said, this is a very important message we need to share with the world. And a book was born. I'm curious as to what your own spirituality uh, was leading into this research, and has it changed? Oh, very much so. Uh, there were some things I was encountering in this study that, that didn't jibe with my pre-existing beliefs. And I'll tell you, as a near-death experience researcher, you really have to put my pre-existing beliefs on a shelf. I'm just strictly evidence-based. What what does the evidence tell me? And that's what I'm ultimately going to believe and share with the world. That's also a basic scientific principle, and it has to do with scientific integrity. So, yeah, that really changed my, my views about a number of things about God. I I guess I was pretty sure that, that God was real going into this years to decades ago. Now I'm absolutely convinced, but not convinced, Miriam, based on what prior people have said or even what's written in holy texts or based on large numbers of people that believe and believe in God passionately. No, at this point, my belief in God is now based on evidence, based on hundreds of people that have shared their accounts. And, and that's certainly been a game changer for me personally. I, you know, certainly, obviously, um, this awareness of the reality of God is, is certainly changed my, my spiritual beliefs. I'm much more inclined to uh, meditate, prayer, um, praying to God, conversation to God. I, I hoped God would under, would hear me in my prayers before. Now I know that absolutely, again, based on evidence. So this has been a bit of a significant transition for me over the past oh, six, nine months to a year as the book came out. And I might add a very, very positive transition. Hmm. Tell us some of the uh, consistent parameters that you discovered among people who had experienced God. Um, were they of a particular religion? Were they religious beforehand? So on. You know, when I explored that, we have a very detailed questionnaire 
about their religious beliefs at the time of the near-death experience and then at the time they shared their near-death experience with the website, typically an average of 20 years after the experience. To my astonishment, it seemed to make no difference based on two different surveys as to what their religious belief was as to whether they did or did not encounter God. I personally would have expected those with a more uh, conservative or fundamentalist religious belief would be predisposed to see God, and that's not at all what the evidence showed. It seemed to be, regardless of what their religious belief was at the time of their near-death experience, they had essentially the same probability of either being aware of or encountering God. But getting on back to your other question, what, what exactly did they encounter? Well, the most common descriptor when they encountered God was love. The love of God was consistently described by near-death experiencers as profound, overwhelming, and totally accepting. The love encountered was typically described as far beyond any of the love that they ever encountered or felt during their earthly lives. Uh, and that's consistent with other ex questions that we have about that, too. So it's, it's uh, literally, as some people say, God is literally love. And, and that overwhelming, compassionate, accepting love, God seems to love us each of us, you, me, and every listener, for who we are and for what we are, uh, all of our faults, all of our strengths, uh, we are known completely and loved completely by God as described in near-death experiences. One of the consistent messages that I picked up through the reports in your book was that there is no judgment um, that you uh, you may judge yourself, but there's no judgment from God that you are simply held in love. That that um, must have been such an empowering message for these people who actually oh, yeah. were in a traumatic situation because they had just oh, died. Yeah. I mean, and, and that was very surprising. That's That's one of the things where God is described in near-death experiences diverges from the beliefs that a lot of people have. I mean, there's a number of people out there that think as God is judgmental, wrathful, condemning, and absolutely none of that is observed when God is seen in near-death experiences. And again, we're talking about hundreds of observations. Uh, this is a huge study, and we're seeing this overwhelmingly consistently. Um, throughout, uh, over and over, the uh, near-death experiencers share that that God does not judge them. God, God, does, may, God now certainly may be unhappy with their prior life's unloving actions, but almost uniformly, the near-death experiencers find that God does not condemn them. Uh, once again, startling how God seems to accept everybody for who they are, what they are, uh, loving them completely and totally, even more than they could love themselves. So. That was certainly a, somewhat of a surprise to me. I would have thought, you know, if this were just simply a projection of beliefs that we had in our earthly life about God, you'd have a pretty significant proportion of people that would encounter a judgmental, if not even wrathful and angry God. And that is essentially unknown in near-death experiences. Well, I think one of the great problems in our society is that we do not love ourselves, that we are very judgmental about ourselves and feel that we're inadequate somehow. So having this confirmation from this loving source must have been overwhelmingly um, uh, affecting to these people. And, and the fact is that they recall it with such clarity over 20 years. 
And that's absolutely true. I mean, you could just imagine if someone has some doubts about themselves or insecurities to realize from own personal experience during a near-death experience that God loves them profoundly for who they are and what they are and completely and totally. I mean, certainly this is a revelation that can change their lives, and it does. Near-death experiencers in general, and especially those that encounter God, typically have substantial changes in their life afterward. These are called after effects, and they can take many different forms, but certainly a part of it is that near-death experiences love themselves and they love others at a level that they could not have possibly been able to do had they not had their profound near-death experience. So this is really a, a, a real game changer for a lot of people that have this. They're more loving. They may break off unloving relationships and move forward in their life more secure, happy, uh, and certainly almost uniformly aware that God is real. Another one of the common elements that you describe is this feeling that they don't want to go back. Um, do, uh, yeah, do... absolutely. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, that's, and, and you know, it's, it's kind of interesting, Miriam, I'm here. Everything that these people knew during their earthly life, years, decades of earthly life, friends, family, loved ones, all of a sudden they're in an unearthly realm, uh, unfamiliar to them from their prior earthly life, and, and here's God. And you're right, almost uniformly, the near-death experiencers do not want to return to their earthly life. They're in these profound they feel a profound sense of peace and love, and very often they have that very strong sense that the environment that they're in, that unearthly realm, heavenly realm, if you will, is their real home. And sometimes they will argue and often at great lengths with God or other spiritual beings with them during their experience, uh, making it very clear that they want to stay in that heavenly realm and not return to earthly life. There was one amusing uh, anecdote that you told of, of uh, a girl who passed quite young, and she threw a little tantrum and was stomping <laughs> her feet in front of God. No, I don't <laughs> want to go back. We've had, uh, we've had, yes, that was very dramatic. Young child, uh, and she was very uh, dramatic, uh, foot stamping. I think she was even on the ground, hollering, fussing, carrying on. She absolutely did not want to leave that beautiful <laughs> heavenly life. We've had a number of people that, that even as adults will be angry, argumentative, uh, even in front of God. How's that for... Uh, interesting, but uh, you know, of course, God loves them all the same, no matter what kind of tantrum or argument they're putting on, and, and still loves them profoundly. But yeah, that is kind of interesting. I mean, that just shows the depth to which, even from the young age all the way through adults, uh, how emphatic people are that they want to stay in that heavenly realm, that place of beauty, peace, love, connection, unity uh, that, that they feel is so different and so much better than the earthly life that they left behind. Yes, it's, uh, I guess, a testament to the the contrast with the earthly life, the fact and, that and they want to stay so strongly. But they, they do have the option of bringing that peace into their present lives, don't they? Yeah, I think near-death experiencers very often bring back a little piece of that heaven to the earthly life. They're changed people positively changed, and it really impacts them greatly and positively for the rest of their life. Absolutely. We see that very consistently. Yeah. 
Um, I'm I'm a little loath to start a new subject because we're coming up to another break. But uh, well, uh, then I would the, say we've got a lot more to talk about, and after that break, we'll <laughs> reconvene and get back into this fascinating discussion, Miriam. Okay, I'm speaking with Dr. Jeffrey Long about God and the afterlife. We'll be right back. So before the break, we were talking about the uh, option that people have of going back, of making a free choice, because it, it, from the reports in your book, the, the relatives and God and whoever was trying to convince them to go back because it wasn't their time yet. But it wasn't as if they were forcing them back, was it? Well, actually, it's um, kind of a mixed mixed bag. Many near-death experiencers are simply sent back involuntarily, and there's no particular discussion wow. on it. Of those that, and you know, it's maybe in the 50, ballpark of 50-50, well, probably about two-thirds get sent back involuntarily. Seems to be a minority where there's a discussion about them returning, and, and you're right, Miriam, very often as they're interacting with God or the spiritual beings in that heavenly, unearthly realm, uh, they'll be told that there's more that they need to do, that their work is not yet complete. There seems to be sort of that general sense that our earthly life is meaningful and purposeful, and their earthly life is uh, got more that they need to accomplish. And so that does help persuade the near-death experiencers that, or at least un- help them to understand and make a choice to return to their earthly life, or at least have some understanding if they're sent back involuntarily, that that's why. I noticed that a number of them then took on the task when they came back of talking about their experience. Uh, Do you think that speaking about the reality of life after death is part of the conscious awakening that's happening on the planet now? Oh, there's no question about that. I would have to say, in all, of all of humanity, the, the fear of death, of final annihilation, of nothing more at the end of our earthly life, is sort of a core and significant fear that has led to all sorts of misery throughout our world today and throughout history. The absolute clear-cut evidence-based knowledge that there is life after death, and that's a wonderful life after death for all of us could really change people. It could help them to live their life more courageously if they don't fear uh, an endless death. It could help them to uh, react to other people lovingly if they know that we're all going to be in this, not only in our earthly life, but together for an eternity. It certainly helps them to deal more positively with the uh, death of people that they know, other uh, loved ones in their life, even pets. Uh, If they understand that all the ones that they've known and loved in their life that they will be reunited with uh, can certainly help that that expected horrific grief that can occur when a deeply loved Mm -hmm. one dies. So I think for all those reasons, uh, it can really help people to live their life uh, better and uh, more spiritually and and more aware and um, uh, more productively with with all that. They don't have those barriers that a fear of death can entail. The other thing was that the um, perception of God was very general, and people were uh, some people actually saw, seemed to see God as they would have expected to see him, kind of a man with a white robe, and you know, but others just as as energy. Um, uh-huh. 
was was there any predominance of one view or another? Yeah, the most common description of God's appearance is light. Uh, when they further describe God's appearance, or if God appears some in some form, then their descriptions may vary. Now, that's not at all surprising to me, because we had a number of near-death experiencers that came away with that awareness that they're in, uh, when they're in that unearthly, heavenly realm, it's not like a separate three-dimensional existence. There really is, uh, There's. It, it's not physical, and and things are very, very different. In fact, a number of near-death experiencers described, and we have that in my book, that God or other beings there can choose what their appearance is and may often choose an appearance that seems to be best suited for the near-death experiencer. Um, and so that's undoubtedly what's going on here. It's, uh, uh, you know, God may choose to appear in different ways for different near-death experiencers because for that person, that's the right appearance for God to choose to have. And what did your experiencers say about the notion of religions and whether there were right and wrong ways to sure. experience uh, again? Yeah, uncommon, but pretty typically, uh, well, almost uniformly, when near-death experiencers are in these unearthly realms uh, with or without God and ask about religion, they almost always hear that there's no one correct or chosen religion. And in fact, the best story of that is a near-death experiencer who did encounter God and asked very directly, what's the right earthly religion? And God immediately showed them a mountain with different people climbing different sides of the mountain. Now, these people climbing the mountain couldn't see each other. They didn't know the journey that the others were on on different parts of the mountain, but they were all going toward the top of the mountain. And God used that illustration with this near-death experiencer to say that you're all, uh, the religions of the earth are all seekers, that people are all climbing, and the end point, that being the top of the mountain, that being to grow closer to God, uh, seems to be the uniform, unifying principle, if you will, of religions throughout the world and throughout history. I've often thought of it as the um, spokes on a wheel, everyone coming towards the hub on a different spoke. So I'm delighted to uh, have that confirmation. Yeah, wow. That's a. I mean, that's a very. That's a same concept and a different analogy, same which concept. is really. Certain, yeah. yeah, absolutely the same thing, and that's that's uh, interestingly, and that that again is was surprising to me. I would have you know I would have thought that. I mean, you always hope your religion that you currently believe is the one right one, or you know, there's a certain extra validity to it. But we we essentially never see that in near death experiences. There's, there's no chosen religion, and part of that is the very common, I think that well, certainly is consistent with what we see very typically throughout near-death experiences, that we all have a choice. God seems to be very, uh, the, the supreme being, as is often called, really wants us to choose. Uh, we're not being commanded. We're not being directed to do this. We're not being told what to do with our life. We. It's very important that we have a choice down here in our earthly life, and that seems to extend to religious beliefs as well. So did you get any insight as to the purpose of life? Yeah, actually I did. Um, again, I was so fascinated with some of the deeper spiritual content of near-death experiences that I asked point blank during my new survey of 420 near-death experiences 
the actual question was, during your experience, did you encounter any specific information or awareness regarding earthly life's meaning or purpose? And from the 420 near-death experiencers responding to the most recent survey version, 36.4% said yes. And narrative response was allowed after that question, and that was really an eye-opener to me. Um, the most common response was, yes, they became aware during their experience that, while they may not have been so sure before their near-death experience, they really learned that our earthly lives really are meaningful. They really are significant. Uh, most common concept is that love is an important foundation of meaning of our earthly lives. Um, loving, especially loving relationships with others, very important of life's meaning and purpose. So again, once again, as with so much of this research I've done, strikingly consistent responses. Again, um, remarkable that people from such a huge diversity of religious backgrounds, and of course these are people sharing from all around the world, all converging on these same concepts, uh, encountering the same information during their near-death experience. It's a bit ironic, isn't it, when so many uh, religion, fundamentalist religions from around the world feel that they have the only true path to God, and they certainly preach anything but love for anyone who doesn't follow their path. Well, I, I'd use, a, uh, a, you know, while you called it ironic, I would have to say that sad or even stronger language. And you're absolutely right. At no point can I recall any near-death experience or encountering God, you know, where they were told that their religion was the one right one and someone else's religion was wrong uh, or seemed to come back with some concept that living their life in an unloving manner, unloving to all people of all faiths, uh, was the right thing to do. So uh, that kind of, I, I hope, is the years and generations of humanity uh, pass that there's going to be less and less of that elitism among religious groups and more and more embracing other people for who they are, what their beliefs are. And I certainly think that is entirely consistent with the message of God as encountered in near-death experiences. You did have a few people, a very small percentage, experience what they would call hell. Correct. That was it was about one percent of all near death experiences. Um, when I published my first book, that was the most common question people would email me with. So, uh, you know, I said I'm just going to have to go to you. This, you know, I'm, I am. Uh, it, it certainly is a striking difference from the overwhelming bliss, love, and peace and beauty of uh, typical near death experiences. But I said, okay, uh, the public has asked, so we went ahead and did that. Um, there seems to be, first of all, there's only about 1% of the experiences encounter uh, either are aware of or encounter hellish realms. Uh, I think an important point to be made here is that many people that have this after their near-death experience realize that there were some issues to them being uh, manifesting their life lovingly in their earthly life, and they will often say, that is the only way that I could have confronted some important issues that needed to change in my life, was to go through an experience like this. Uh, the significant majority of people that have a hellish experience or encounter hellish realms still have the same positive life changes as everybody else. They still go on to be more loving, compassionate, less materialistic, and ultimately do not fear what ultimately their outcome will be in the afterlife. Uh, the ultimate uh, point that needs to be made about all this is that I, there's no near-death experience that I'm aware of where God has condemned involuntarily 
thrown somebody into hell. Uh, when these hellish realms are encountered, interestingly, the sense seems to be, and we see this consistently, that these are, if you will, very spiritually sick beings in an afterlife, and they've just simply chosen to be around others that share their same sickness. And so uh, no, no hint whatsoever that there's a permanent involuntary hell. There just seems to be a realm where the people very spiritually ill in the afterlife uh, are comfortable uh, in, the, in the company of others like them. They seem to, as with uh, everything else in the afterlife, there seems to be free will and free choice. They could leave if they want to, but they choose not to. I noticed that one report of a, a woman who felt that she was in hell uh, called out to God, and she said, God, save me, and she was pulled in out. Th- and that's that common, wonderful. too. Well, we're... Absolutely. Uh-huh. Well, there's our break music, and we're going into our final break. We'll be back with Dr. Jeffrey Long talking about God and the afterlife. Now, people have, uh, in, in the studies, have died from many different causes. I think it's rather amusing that you have a disclaimer at the beginning of your book saying, don't try this at home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't yeah, that's true. Yeah, we, uh, you need to do that. You, you never know who's going to read the book. Uh, and actually, some people, you know, if there's any temptation to for people to try suicide, I've sure gotten my share of emails over the year. Uh, it's very sad. They're typically in the midst of a depression. And even near-death experiencers that had their experience as a result of a suicide attempt almost invariably come back realizing it was a huge mistake and will uh, essentially never attempt co- to commit suicide again. So, yeah, that's that's why we got that right up in the front of the book. Now, um, you have many different, uh, 4,000 different causes of death. Have you found (laughs) any, any ones that kind of predispose to a near-death experience? Yeah, actually, I co-authored a scholarly book chapter on that in the past in review of all literature up to the time. And the bottom line through that, you know, sort of, if you will, meta-analysis is there's no, um, life-threatening event that predisposes one to a near-death experience, with the exception being that it's seemingly the closer you come to death, if you will, the, if you will, more if your heart stops or the longer stops or uh, the more critically close to death you become, the more likely it is that you'll have a near-death experience and a detailed or deep near-death experience, which is the opposite of what you'd expect. Well. If you, by definition, came back, then I would have thought that that is exactly what you would expect, because the closer you come to death, the more into the tunnel, into the past life review and so on you get. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you and I know that. Right. You and I know that. But uh, for the the so-called materialists (laughs) or the people that believe that near-death experiences must be due to the brain function, that goes against that belief. It's just one oh, of the Oh, I see. It would be counterintuitive. Lines. Yeah, it would be yeah. counterintuitive that the closer you come to death, the more likely you're to have a near-death experience and a detailed one. So that's one of the uh, myriad of arguments for the reality of near-death experiences that the skeptics have been unable to refute. Uh-huh. Now, uh, have you read Anita Morjani's book, Dying to Be Me? Um, oh, heck, she... heck Yeah. Heck yeah. So um, 
I'm, I'm wondering how many people, since they are all in critical condition, um, how many people have had healing or accelerated healing afterwards? Right. Anita actually first shared her near-death experience with the world on our Enderf website, believe it or not. Um, it was only there that Wayne Dwyer discovered her, if you will, and then her book, Reduce. So I, Anita Morjani is a personal friend of mine. She is amazing, as is her book. In her book, um, she is literally dying from Hodgkin lymphoma, which is spread throughout her body. And she has, she has an amazing, uh, seemingly miraculous recovery from that in her near-death experience. And in fact, during her near-death experience, is aware that she could choose to die. And it will lab studies will show that her organs are continuing to fail, or she could choose to live, to return to earthly life. And the labs that had been drawn would show that she was recovering, which is astounding. It's a very uncommon that we have these kinds of medically inexplicable healings and near-death experiences. But again, good gosh, they do occur in several percent of near-death experiences. And by the time you have 4,000 near-death experiences like I've studied, you end up seeing dozens of these types of near-death experiences. And you know, as a physician and, and one that has a pretty high bar of evidentiality, I, I find these fascinating. And there's certainly many, many accounts, including Anita's, that just simply defy medical explanation. And I'm, I'm hesitant to use the term miracle, but I can find no other term to describe Anita's experience or the experience of many, many others, uh, amazing cure from that which nearly killed them in near-death experiences. Mm -hmm. And this kind of sidesteps into the um, phenomena associated with spiritual healing because it is um, really changing people's mindset about the, what is possible. Oh, just, and no just question as about we're changing that. the mind. Yeah. yeah, before I started my near-death experience research, I would have said this was impossible. Now I can tell you and tell the world it's possible. I, there's so many, many accounts that describe this. This really happens. Mm -hmm. Having gotten this far with the the website, and remind our listeners what it is, yeah, it's nderf.org for Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. Dot org. Okay. Uh -huh. um, where do you think uh, it's taking us? Wow, that's a great question. Uh, I think more and more people are reading this, understanding it. There's more awareness and acceptance of near-death experiences, and especially me and other researchers getting into these profound spiritual messages than was ever possible before. So I think we're going to have at this point for the future near-death experiences sort of a split. There's going to be still those that say, gosh, are near-death experiences for real? And there will be research oriented to that. But I think you, me, and I suspect in general your listeners are saying, okay, we understand the reality of near-death experiences. What can we learn What from their deeper messages? And that's where another line of research is going, which I'm very active in right now. And that's where it really gets interesting, really gets exciting. That's where we get into details about uh, meaning and purpose of our earthly life, um, God, um, heavenly realms, and, and just a whole host of things that are consistently observed that really help me to understand the bigger picture of this universe we live in. I'm curious, did, uh, Anita is just coming out with a new book called What If This Is Heaven? 
Um, have you been collaborating with her on that? No, I wish I had. I was actually this last weekend at a meeting. She was there and I was there. We didn't see each other because uh, I was doing nothing. But uh, So I'm not aware of her most recent book, but anything Anita does, and this is Anita Morjani, anything she does is outstanding and highly recommended. So she uh, she's one of the most uh, deeply touching inspirational speakers I've encountered. So I am, and that's the first time I've heard about her book. Thank you. I'm definitely going to have to look it up and get it. Good. It's called What If This Is Heaven? Apropos of what you were just talking about, the implications of near-death research. Yeah, it's really true. That's what's. In fact, I'm reviewing another book who's going to be published soon, and reading their encounter with God, I was just like, uh, breathtaking. This is exactly line by line, dotting every I, crossing every T, what I found in my research for people that, that uh, for hundreds of near-death experiencers. So again, this consistency is so great that pretty much if everybody encountered a heavenly realm, God, or got some messages, you know, almost uniformly, they're going to be finding the same thing that I discovered in my research. And that's exciting. It's sort of a common ground for us to compare notes, dialogue, and, and hopefully get that message out to the world, which so needs it now more than ever. Who's the author of this new book? I'm sorry? That you're, who's the author of the book that you're mentioning? Oh no! I, you know what? It's that Nancy Clark has got the book, and I was uh-huh. just even as of this morning, I was she, she'd asked me to do an endorsement of that, and I was just so fascinated with it. She's written a number of books before, and uh, she's a great author, great writer, and I'm uh, very heavily into um, reading. Uh, you know what she has to say because it is so uh, so outstanding. By the way, the name of the book is from Nancy Clark. What I learned about life's purposes and uh, the very detailed discussion of, of her very remarkable near death experience and other spiritual experiences. Well, I would venture to suggest that this area of research is probably the most important for us at this time because it puts into perspective not only the um, the nature of the afterlife and the nature of God, but what is expected of us. And it all boils down to love. It sounds so banal. And uh, one of the things that your people in the book were struggling with was how to put into human language the ineffable experiences they were having. Yeah, very true, Miriam. I mean, literally, ineffable means difficult to describe in words, and that's so typical. Again, if these are unearthly experiences and their whole prior life was earthly experiences, how can you use that language, that terminology, to describe something that simply does not exist on this earth as we know it? So uh, interesting, you almost need to develop like a whole different language to describe these remarkable experiences. One of the things that you said in our conversation earlier was that fear of God is an oxymoron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should have put that in the book, I just, but I didn't. And it's really true. I mean, to, to use the term, to, people will often say that they're God-fearing, and that's ridiculous. God is not to be feared, but to embrace, to be sought out. Uh, God's love for us is so deep that hear that you you really can't help but turn around and and desire to be a part of, grow closer to, if you will, love God with all your heart and soul. I certainly have in my journey. So 
God-fearing is is an oxymoron. God-seeking and God-embracing seems to be what it's all about. Well, that really is the bottom line. And, you know, just as a parent doesn't stop loving its child when it behaves, God never stops loving us. And that came through so clearly from your book. So I really want to thank you for for bringing it out into the world. The book is well, called... <laughs> the book is oh, called... Yeah, yeah, the book God, is called... Uh, yeah, go ahead. God and the Afterlife, the Groundbreaking New Evidence for God and Near-Death Experience by Dr. Jeffrey Long. And uh, your your uh, Paul Perry uh, wrote it with you. He He was your co-author on your earlier book too, wasn't he? That's correct. Yeah, he was co-author on this one too. Uh huh. So um, it's been a delight having you, and I I hope uh, to keep tabs and to hear more from you in the future. Thank Miriam, you so it's been much a pleasure. for being with us. Thank you, Miriam. It's been and, a delight. And thank you for listening. And do join us next week. I'm Miriam Knight for Rising Stars. Goodbye. <laughs>